Hey everyone, it's Bill Simmons. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that you were listening to one of six classic episodes of The Rewatchables, a podcast that's been around for the last few years. And if you're listening on any platform other than Spotify, you can only hear the last 60 days of new Rewatchables episodes, plus these six classics, The Godfather, Heat, The Social Network, Old School, Jaws, and The Town. But for the entire archive, go to Spotify, where you can listen to every episode for free. Today's very special episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken in apartment, maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family, or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S. There could be one just around the corner, kind of like how the heat is always around the corner. Contact an agent today because no matter what your neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com, one of the world's last great websites, as well as the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find a slew of awesome podcasts, including. The BS podcast where we we have some some good stuff coming up that might be movie related. So I'm just putting that on your radar. Not as good as the podcast we have now. Chris Ryan and I, we're doing it again. It was the first rewatchables ever, and now it's the 101st. I've got three dead bodies on a sidewalk off Venice Boulevard, Justine. So I'm sorry if the chicken got overcooked. <laughs> the reheat coming up. You search for the scent of your prey, and then you hunt them down. It keeps me sharp where I gotta be. In a world where violence is wholesale. The bank is worth the risk. You're up. There's a saga waiting to unfold. If I'm there and I gotta put you away, you are going down. You will not get in my way for a second. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer. Heat, a Michael Mann film. Wow, this is emotional. This is great. We did this, the first ever rewatchables that we did not even know was a rewatchables yet. December 2015. We were in my little pool house in yeah. the back of my house. And we were just like, let's talk about heat. 20 year anniversary. You and I were texting about it, making jokes. And we were just like, I wonder if this could be a whole podcast. We did it. People liked it. And if you go back and listen to it, the seeds of what became the rewatchables were all in that podcast. Now we've done 100 rewatchables. We made a pact. Every time we get to another hundred, <laughs> we do cruising. We do heat again. <laughs> yeah, we do heat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny how much we left out of that original pod. We covered all the big picture basics, but now that we have the categories and all the, you know, bells and whistles that I think make the rewatchables so much fun, we weren't able to do that with heat, which yeah. is why we're having the reheat. Also, um, I would say that, so I rewatched it this week, obviously for the pod. And usually when I rewatch heat and really when I rewatch any of my favorite movies and heat is my favorite movie. I have like a game plan. Like, you know, you have the scenes that you're waiting for. Yeah. And so sometimes your brain kind of turns off a little bit as you're waiting for the bank robbery or you're waiting for, you know, any of the big scenes in the movie. But this time I tried to, to flip it and specifically watch the scenes that I sometimes zone out on. Yeah. And try to like get more out of them. And it was really great. And I think that's actually probably what Michael Mann would want. 
because he didn't really think of this movie as a crime story. He thought of it <laughs> right. as like a crime movie that was like that. The crime is incidental to all these people's lives kind of colliding together. It was the best possible version of Crash. That's right. That's which right. Which somehow won an Oscar, which I think is a good place to start. We should say though, this is your favorite movie of my all time. Movie of all time. This is one of my five favorites, and a movie that I am surprised I like more every year. Mm-hmm. I'm not tired of it. I love when it's on. I still get a lot out of it. I notice new things every time. I love all the actors. I love texting you when I'm watching it yeah. and texting random quotes. Ew. <laughs> One thing we didn't cover in the last pod, this movie got absolutely, uh, the Oscars just said no thanks. It, right? Yeah. It went beyond ignoring. The Oscars said no thank you. Did it have any technical side it's, it, nominations? Best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress. Shutouts across the board. So the woman who played Michael Chirito's wife didn't get nominated she, she for supporting didn't. actress? Mrs. Chirito didn't get nominated. Aline? Wayne Grove, no nomination. But the best picture that year, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Babe, The Postman. The Postman? Oh, El Postino, The Postman. Uh-huh. And uh, Sense and Sensibility. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Best director, Mel, uh, Braveheart won, by the way. Right. Best director, Mel Gibson won for Braveheart. Chris Noonan for Babe, Robbins for Dead Man Walking, Mike Figgis for Leaving Las Vegas, and the guy did Il Pistino. Best actor, Cage, Leaving Las Vegas. Cage, Heat. (laughs) Dreyfus for Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, yeah. Dark Horse for Rewatchables in this next hundred. Uh, No, Cage won. Anthony Hopkins as Nixon, which is in concert. I I just can't even believe that happened. Sean Penn, Dead Man Walking, and then uh, the guy from Il Pistino. Best actress, wouldn't have mattered for Heat. Best supporting actor, Kevin Spacey, The Usual Suspects. James Cromwell for Babe, uh-huh. Ed Harris, Apollo 13, Brad, hit 12, Brad Pitt, 12 Monkeys, Tim Roth, Rob Roy. Would I'm they pretty, have done I'm Pacino pretty sure he could have shoved, no, Pacino De Niro had to be best actor. Best actor, okay. And then uh, best supporting actress, Mira Servino for Mighty Aphrodite, Joan Allen and Nixon, Catherine Quinlan, Apollo 13, which is nuts. Mayor Winningham, Georgia, Kate Winslet, Sense and Sensibility. How come Venora can't get in there, man? Venora? Uh, Judd? Judd was good. I Kilmer to me. Kilmer should have gotten supporting. Best Actor. This is an incredible performance from him. And then if I had to pick, if I, if I give you one, De Niro or Pacino for Pacino, Best Actor. 100% Pacino. Really? I would yeah. say De Niro. Really? I love De Niro so much. Oh, I think, I think I've come all the way back around on Pacino where I will not hear anybody say a bad thing about him in this <laughs> no, movie. No, I love Pacino. He's this given us we love so the much from this performance. I and, just love what De Niro's doing and... Just everything. And in the director's uh, commentary, Michael Mann does. Uh-huh. And he talks about the opening scene, which I bailed on the commentary after 15 minutes and just went online to read all the best tidbits from the commentary because sure. Michael Mann's just overpowering the movie. <laughs> but he talks about how the blue line that leads the beginning of this movie is also the end of Collateral. Yeah. And he's rambling on about that. And then he's talking about watch, watch what Bob does here as he goes into the hospital off the train station. He's just like... Watch how he doesn't touch anything. Watch how he's he surveying the, the scene. The entrance hits the thing with, with his, his elbow. elbow. Yeah. And he's just so into like all these subtle things De Niro's doing. I'm like, oh, never noticed that. I've seen this, this movie That's why this movie times. is so incredible is that you can watch it for the 50th or 60th time and still see little, little beats. I saw something this time around where when they do the action is the juice scene at the refinery scrapyard. Yeah. When Neil says, uh, I got to do this job because then, then I'm, I'm getting out. Yeah. They cut to Chris and he looks at Neil like he's like, that's the first he's heard of that. And you can tell he obviously feels like a way about it. 
And yeah. it's like, oh shit, this guy's leaving me. Like, what am I going to do? Whose house with no furniture am I going to crash <laughs> right. at? And you're uh, like, I hadn't noticed that in all the times I had seen heat before. That, what that little cutaway. What floor am I going to use yeah, when I crash in an apartment with no furniture? <laughs> I have no explanation for the heat Oscar thing. I don't really remember being upset about it in 96, but I might have been smoking a lot of pot at the time. I don't remember. It's really kind of inexplicable because as we talked about when we did the first heat podcast, so much buzz for this movie. Mm -hmm. This is De Niro and Pacino in their post-prime apexes. Michael Mann, who at that point had this unassailable reputation. Everything he did was prestige, either amazing in the moment or became yeah. amazing. Yeah. And the trailer, it was the first time they were in the movie. And go over the story quickly about they're both in The Godfather. They don't share any scenes. These two great actors who had circled each other, you know, really for 25, 30 years, both New York guys and and this was the movie that they're both in. Mm -hmm. And this is Michael Mann. And this was like, you know, one of my biggest moments at 1995, a year that didn't have a lot going on yeah. for me. But it really was. It, this was like a game seven of the NBA finals for me. And I think you felt the same. Where were you? You were in Boston? Uh, yeah, but I think that I saw it. When did it come out? In uh, December, December 95. So I, I was home for Christmas and I remember walking in a blizzard to go see it at the AMC Riverview, I think it is in Philly. And I remember like walking to the theater to go see it because like the buses were shut down and it was like, it was incredible. I think I saw it again that weekend. It was immediately, yeah, I, I too timed it too. All of my friends just started talking in heat dialogue. You know, it, it just became one of those movies that became part of the language that you spoke to other people. Right. And it, it stayed that way for 20 years. I mean, even when we did this first podcast, the amount of people who would reach out to us on Twitter were these obscure observations, lines that they loved, little gestures, you know, the action is the juice stuff. Right. Really became like you can see that people just read read this thing over and over and over again. I saw it Somerville Lowe's and this movie over the last 25 years, now it's 2000. This will be the 25th anniversary in December. It hits every checkpoint of a modern movie. It comes out before the internet. We're still doing the VHS blockbuster mm -hmm. thing. We're not doing DVDs yet. DVDs really starts around 96. And if you go back, Keat had the double VHS yep. tape thing in 96. Yeah. And then the DVD doesn't come out till 99. Yeah. Then that happens. Then it goes into the whole cable universe and it's on... Basically, it was way better on the movie channels because it was so long when it was on TNT. It's on TNT from 8 to midnight. Yeah, you know, right. It's just like with the commercials, it's a real commitment. But then eventually kind of settles on the Cinemax, HBO, yes. Encore universe. Then Blu-rays come out, directors cut. Then we have internet. Then we have message boards. You find out that other people love this. Movie sites. Eventually this decade, podcasts. There's a podcast, isn't there a podcast where somebody does one minute? Yeah, he they basically did an entire podcast. I think it was called Heat Every Minute or Why well, wasn't it called Heat Around the Corner? <laughs> it just seems like that would have made sense. But yeah, so well, it was called One Heat Minute Pod, and it was every minute of, of heat was was recorded in an episode. Yeah. So then it goes into the enhanced Blu-ray director's mm -hmm. cut era, then the Twitter era. Now it's in the whole GIF era, and now it's what it is. 25 years later, whatever comes next. This is a movie that I think will live on and on, much like the classics, The Godfather. Mm -hmm. There's some movies that haven't lived on like that. Like I watched The Deer Hunter recently, which is a great movie. Super slow. It's a three and a half hour commitment and it belongs to a certain era. This movie manages to somehow feel modern, even though, as you pointed out in the last podcast, 
all the way they're sur- surveilling the suspects is all old school. Yeah, it's all we have um, like 24 hour surveillance, like wiretaps on their phones. Yeah, they're like, they're, everybody is trying to like be like, get on the landline and call me back at this payphone. They're trying to like elude surveillance that way. But for the most part, there's no digital surveillance. There's some cameras and stuff like that. But they're not like, up on people's cell phones or anything. Like, uh, I think Chirito has a mobile phone, but that's pretty much it. Vincent has a mobile phone. It's, it's a world where you could lose somebody just by going to the airport, yes. coming out in a different right. car. Like, people oh, are like, where'd he go? Helicopters couldn't oh go God. over there. Yeah, right. right. Um, it's just, it's it's a more innocent time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we, we've made the case that uh, Tom Noonan, which we, you know, it should be a bigger deal, invents the internet in this movie. It's just out there. You just got to know how to grab it. <laughs> just got to grab stuff. <laughs> but I think Heat in 2020 is a different movie because you would have all these ways. It basically would become The Wire crossed with nine different other movies. Uh, a couple of things we should hit. We didn't talk about in the last podcast about um, this L.A. takedown. Uh-huh. We mentioned it. We didn't really talk about right, how this was. that he shot. It was a decade-long odyssey just in the 80s for Michael Mann. He was obsessed with this Chicago police officer, Chuck Adamson, in his pursuit in the 60s of a criminal named Macaulay and ended up selling NBC on this show, made the pilot, and the actors weren't good, the lead actors. I mm-hmm. think for so, for whatever reason, he picked the wrong people, and they were like, they didn't pick it up. Did you watch any of it? I watched some of it. It was it's too weird YouTube. for me. Yeah. yeah. It's— it it. It's, you can see why they didn't pick it up. It's strange. It's like way too violent for network television. Yep. So you can see for one thing. I guess also the performances had some issues. But the major thing is that it is essentially a storyboard for a lot of heat. Yeah. Like the bank robbery scene more or less plays the way the bank robbery scene plays in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just obviously shot with like one-tenth of the budget and one-tenth of the level of like imagination and vision. That's a weird time to try to do this. Late 80s was such a cesspool for TVs and movies. Yeah. TV and movies, right? Like, I, I really feel like that was one of the worst eras but for But he was TV. coming off Miami Vice and Crime Story. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably thought, like, he had this idea. And he probably was, like, a, a little bit of a, a ahead of his time when it came to, like, what if we told this story over, like, a long period of time rather than, like, a, a feature. What, uh, so when we're talking just 1995, 1995 Chris Ryan. Uh-huh. Why did you love Michael Mann? What was the one thing that really drew you in with his stuff? Well, I think that part of it is that he makes pretty traditional Hollywood movies. They just don't play that way. So when you watch something like, say, Last of the Mohicans, right? That's like essentially a movie that Hollywood's been making since the invention of Hollywood. That story has been told several times. But his dedication to realism and his dedication to making the film feel as uh, tactile as possible where it's like, if he's going to make Last of the Weekends, they're going to shoot it up in the mountains of North Carolina and everybody is going to have to learn how to walk in moccasins. And if they're going to make Heat, I think it was something like only 10 of the 85 locations had ever been used in movies before. In Seriously? Heat. Yeah, and that's why that movie feels like a movie, even though it's been copied, even though people have tried to rip it off for the 20 years after it came out, 25 years after it came out, Den of Thieves, whatever. Nothing feels like heat because he's actually shooting in Long Beach and at these scrapyards and at Hermosa and downtown in these ways that like feel like you're there. And when you drive around L.A. now, no matter how much L.A. has changed since 1995, it looks like that. It does, especially the downtown. I think we've talked about the concept of season tickets before in the rewatchables where you're just blindly in. Mm -hmm. Much like if you have season tickets to the Clippers, you just have season tickets on actors, actresses, directors, whoever. Michael Mann and Walter Hill 
were the two guys coming out of the 80s for me where it was just like, I don't even care if it's bad. I'm mm-hmm. seeing it. Those are my guys. Yeah. Black and, Hat is like going to see the Clippers play like the Bulls on a yeah, Wednesday night right. on a back-to-back. And Kawhi is not playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we saw the theater <laughs> yeah, together. Right. Exactly. But um, Jericho Mile, back in the days when I was an only child, late 70s, and I watched every TV movie and everything that was on the three channels. What else was I going to do other than read books? And that had such a huge impact on me. I just love that movie about this convict who's stuck in jail, but he's a great runner and has a chance to maybe run in the Olympics. Michael Mann did that and made it so realistic with the prison that you could watch a movie now and it still kind of holds up. And then he goes in The Thief, which I saw with my dad in the theater. Mm -hmm. Great James Conn performance. Miami Vice, which was transcendent. And then you go all the way through to Last Mohicans and all the other stuff. We should also throw out something like Manhunter, which is essentially yeah. like people are still ripping off Manhunter now. Yes. There's no True Detective without Manhunter. There's no Mindhunter without Manhunter. Like Manhunter is basically like the modern detective story. And it's one of the great movies at portraying the psychology of its characters with the visuals. Like you don't really, there's not a lot of dialogue in Manhunter. It's mostly, it's brought out by the way that he shoots it. It's in the running for most ripped off movie of the last 35 years. Look, feel, all that stuff. And I just loved him. So when it came out that he was doing this with Pacino and De Niro, first of all, he hadn't made a movie in a couple of years. Yeah. And then it was like, oh man. This is it. It also just feels huge. Like when you when you think about like the way people probably got to go see movies from any time between the 30s through the 60s and they would go see things like Gone with the Wind or Lawrence of Arabia and it would feel like this event movie where it was like obviously like just widescreen. So much care had been put into every shot, every scene, every detail. And it's not that people don't do that or didn't do that in the 80s and 90s, but this felt like almost a throwback in that way where it was just like... Everything about it felt so highly expert. There's like four or five editors credited. I could just see Michael Mann like firing editors the way that Steely Dan fired drummers. Where yeah. they're just like, get out, I need a new editor. Right. Like, it's got to be perfect, you know? Like, it's 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 just one of those things where it feels at once like this huge Main Street edit entertainment, but so nuanced and so specific and so personal. And it felt like there were real stakes mm-hmm. even before it came out for everybody involved. And you talked about... uh we talked about where Michael Mann was, but De Niro and Pacino, they both had a little bit of a renaissance starting in that 89 to 90 range yeah. where they really came back and reclaimed the This feels the like throne. where they cash it in. This yeah. feels like where they're like, okay, like we've kind of like got, gotten our juice going again. And this is where they put their chips in the middle. And they say like, we're going we're gonna to use all of our kind of accumulated credit to, to buy this movie. Well, ironically, uh, De Niro puts out Casino like five weeks before this movie. Oh, that's right. He had Casino and then Heat in five <laughs> weeks and didn't get nominated for either of them. Jesus. So, and then you have the Michael Mann and then his ability to just cast all of these people who are there on the way up, that guys that Perfect you've faces, always liked. Yeah. Um, yeah. They can be in a scene for a minute and you feel like you know them. Yeah. And it's the best version of this. I think it's the best movie he's ever made. I think he probably thinks that. I would guess. I think so. I, I would imagine that during the years after Heat, like when he's making Insider or whatever, he's like, I'm only moving forward. But he's done enough stuff in commemoration of Heat at this point that yes. I think he recognizes it as something special. I wanted to ask you a question. This is just yeah. a broad strokes thing. So this time when I watched it, I was really trying to watch more of the, like get more into the scenes with like Charlene and Justine, yeah. and Marciano and all these people, Van Sant, all the people that are around the two guys. Right. Are you 
I think we talked about a lot the first time around about like maybe some plot lines or some fat to this movie that could have been trimmed. But this time around, I know that the Lauren plot line, the Natalie Portman plot line seems silly. But when you think about it, this is not a movie about fate bringing these two guys together on a collision course because one is the other side of the other and they have to clash. It's really just like a bunch of mistakes and accidents and little decisions that get made by people around these guys that bring them together at the end. And I kind of now think that you can't cut anything. There's nothing you can really lose from this movie without it kind of unraveling the entire thing. I think the Portman character is the weakest part because the, the suicide attempt at the end right. comes out of a little nowhere. It derails the momentum of the movie a little. But at the same time, I think it's making the point that Pacino had these family things. Yes. Whereas De Niro had nothing and maybe trying to, but if you were ever going to cut anything, I would probably gravitate to that. Even like the but Wayne But even Grove, her suicide attempt winds up being like kind of a major plot point towards the it end. It does. It brings them to the hospital. Yeah. It brings them together with Diana Venora. But even like Wayne Grove being a serial killer. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. On the down low, which, you know, is kind of thrown in there pretty hastily. But on the other hand, you kind of need it because I think- the only way it makes sense for Neil, the author of the, you, you as soon as the heat's around the corner, you got to go run. in 30 seconds. Remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. Remember that? For him to be like, I've got to kill Wayne Grow. I just can't go to New Zealand unless I do this. It can't just be Wingro is the guy who fucked up the heist. Yeah. It's, he's got to be even a worse human being than that. And as a viewer, I have to be like, I need Wingro to die. Because it's essentially a movie about Neil not following his own rules in some ways. Yeah, Neil's a hypocrite. We're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> um, this movie made $187 million against a $60 million budget. It has four Oscar winners or people who eventually won Oscars. Pacino, De Niro, John Voight, Natalie Portman, as long as, as well as a bunch of nominees. Roger Ebert, three and a half out of four stars. Thanks, Roger. It's not just an action picture, he wrote. Above all, the dialogue is complex enough to allow the characters to say what they're thinking. They're eloquent, insightful, fanciful, poetic when necessary. They're not trapped with cliches. Yes. Michael Mann said at one point, in, obviously like singing from the same hymn book as Ebert, though people characterize it as a crime thriller, that's the last thing it is, at least in my mind. It is, its plot is driven by a crime story and a police story to a certain point, and then it breaks into a kind of chorus. In that chorus, we see slices of these different people's lives. And I think we didn't make this point the last time, and if we did, we didn't make it nearly well enough. This is the template for a bunch of prestige TV that we would end yeah, up watching in the 21st ask, century. Would you make this into a 10-episode Netflix show? It is a 10-episode Netflix show. And it has an anti-hero that I'm not supposed to root for. And he's he has he's done a bunch of interviews over the years. The reasons he wanted to do this movie are pretty simple. He wanted to tell the story about a criminal and the guy chasing him where you're rooting for the criminal to be caught and you're rooting for the yes. criminal to get away at the yeah. same time. And that's why he, you have to have that final scene. That was the appeal to him. That became prestige TV. That became, why am I rooting for the for Walter White? Yeah. I should be rooting for them to catch him, and I can't. And I want him to get away. It feels different than like the end of Silence of the Lambs, where you're like, well, Hopkins is so charming. I just don't want him to get caught, because the idea of him being not in the world anymore. Yeah, getting I enjoyed to, him so getting much. Getting to do his bits is, even if he's like, a murderer. I, yeah. I don't get, I get, you know, I'm going to be robbed of that. Right. <laughs> Whereas with Neil, you're like, he needs to get caught. 
But I don't want him to get caught. Like, there's, you actually go through the end of that movie every single time on the fence as to what you want to have happen. Yeah, you want Edie to, you're like, come on, Edie. <laughs> yeah, you guys got to make this work. Meanwhile, anybody would be like, Edie, run. Yeah, run right exactly. now. Um, I would right. tell Edie to run when that guy's like, lady, why do you care so much about what I read? <laughs> what I do. What I do. We're doing the categories. And I'm really excited. And this is why we want to do this pod again. Uh, let's take a break first. Hey, whether you're watching a new movie or rewatching an old movie, the sound quality can make or break your viewing experience. The Jaws suspenseful theme song way more impactful when it's actually surrounding you. With Sonos, you can bring clear, detailed sound that fills the room at any volume. Every Sonos speaker is designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass. Then fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. Sonus's true play technology puts the speaker tuning capability of the recording pros in the palm of your hands and optimizes the sound for the unique acoustics of any room. Getting started, it's easy. Plug in your speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming devices, all Sonos speakers and components work together so you can customize your sound system. Start with one speaker, connect more over Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is key with Sonos. Whenever you're ready, you can also connect your TV or even a turntable and listen to everything you love. You might've heard me on my podcast talk about this, the other podcast I have. Uh, the Sonos Move is great. Up to 10 hours, I think, of battery life. You can move it around, bring it on the golf course. Uh, maybe you can't bring it on the golf course, actually. Oh, maybe you could. I don't know. Bring it in your car. Find out where you can't bring it, but it's great. You can bring it anywhere you want. It's like, a, it's like this little egg pod. It's bigger than egg pod though. And you can uh, just blast whatever you want out of there. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. S-O-N-O-S.com. Before we do the categories, I want to reiterate the last podcast we did, we did the, the lessons of heat. Okay. And I'm just going to go through those really quickly because they're funny. And I narrowed them down to the best six. Never fall for a guy with no furniture. <laughs> Never leave a living witness. Never sell bear bonds back to the guy you stole them from. Yeah. Never stay in town when someone calls and tells you, I'm talking to an empty telephone because there's a dead man on the other line. What do you mean, forget the money? What am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone. I don't understand. Because there was a dead man on the other end of this fucking line. Just leave. Yeah. Get the fuck out. I mean, you, you already don't have watch a ball game I in your living room. I guarantee you Vince it has a Cayman Islands place. Yeah. No extradition. Just go down there. He's watching a hockey game. Yeah. Like, nothing bad's going to happen. He's already been told he's, been, he's an empty telephone. Uh, never have a life that revolves around barbecues and ball games. Mm -hmm. So you never wanted a regular type life. The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. I think that's essential advice. Never have anything in your life that you can't walk away from in 30 seconds if the heat's around the corner. Now, there's some other ones. There's, you know, maybe don't fall in love with a guy who has no furniture. And, but those are, I think, the main six. So, most rewatchable scene. Man, there are a lot of choices. I tried to get pretty creative with mine to, to not to not pick the obvious ones all the time. For most rewatchable scenes? Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, thought I think, we kind of had to play the hits for this category. Well, we, don't I we? figured I'll, you I'll would. I'll do all the things. Yeah. The first robbery. Yeah. In the theater. First feels, time. It feels like uh, a truck is going through your head. You're like, what's going on? The movie's starting out a little slow. What's going on? People getting picked up. People, And then all of a sudden. Ten minutes of Val Kilmer buying explosives at a... <laughs> <laughs> at a Lowe's. The truck hitting the uh, armored guard's car in the theater mm -hmm. 
is one of the most terrifying sounds. One of the I've loudest ever heard, I've ever heard. And then the first time you hear guns in this movie. And if you're playing this DVD at home or the Blu-ray or whatever, and you really crank it up, you crank up your Sonos system, whatever you have, and you really unleash it, that truck feels like it's going through from the right side of your living room all the way through to the left side. There's like five or six oh shit moments in the first 20 minutes of this movie, but the first one I think I have, I, I always have, is when uh, they set off the shape charge on the armored truck and all the back windows of the cars in the car lot go out and they just explode at once. I was like, that is the fucking coolest thing in the world. There's the call. Three minutes. Clear! The uh, the masks are great. Yeah. It becomes clear pretty easily that these guys are absolute professionals. They're holding the thing. There's the call. Three minutes. Yep. Doing the whole thing. He's going through all the bonds. Picks the one he like. We got it. Let's go. And then Wayne Grow, who's a little, little off the reservation, but we're not totally sure well, of him he's yet. He's certainly a fan of free refills at Mexican restaurants. True. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Uh, <laughs> And he starts eyeballing this poor security guard who's got blood coming out of his ears and is just kind of staring at him with yeah. this blank look. Well, he's already pistol whipped him, right? Right. He's already hit him with a gun and then just decides to kill him. And then they have to shoot everybody, mm -hmm. unfortunately. They get in the getaway car and they're like, what happened in there? Dude, what did you do? And then he's making a move, man. <laughs> what, did, what does he say? Well, he waits until the diner to be like, I had to get it on. Right. He was looking at me. But in the car, he's like, he's making a move, man. That whole thing, it just sets it up. We were like, okay, these guys have to go down. We yes. need to catch them. Second scene, I'm throwing this in there. Big Boy's Diner. I had to get it on, man. He was making a move. I had to get it on. Yeah. A little dinner with Wayne Grow. Yeah. A little, you guys want some pie? <laughs> Wayne Grove's like everything's fine even though he's the reason they had to kill three people wouldn't it be hilarious if one of the if like Chris or Michael had been like yeah can I get a bite can we get some, can we get some vanilla yeah. ice cream with what's this it, what's your soup today yeah my favorite thing in that scene also is uh, I, I noticed this again this time I think I noticed this before but when Neil is coming into the diner Michael stands up and goes and sits at the actual diner counter and just kind of goes like this oh I didn't I never even noticed because that Trejo is like I gotta go take a leak yeah, and, and leaves, but clearly is going to make sure that the the plastic liner for their the plastic murder trunk. trunk is good. <laughs> but I love that Tom Sizemore just like stands up and sits at the diner and ice grills uh, Wayne Grow while he's eating his pie. Where do I buy the murder trunk? I mean, is I, that can, I know a guy. I could get yeah. Is that something I could get? What are those places like? Uh, <laughs> Probably at Albert's Home place, Depot? Where, like where Albert is uh, doing you like hot cars down in on Sentinella or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go to dinner with you once. And be like, hold on, Chris, I got to show you something. And then just open the plastic line trunk, and you'd be like, "What? No, don't kill that me!" That would be when I'm like, I'm going to barstool. <laughs> you're like, "No, cool, come on out to the trunk." Yeah, hold on, I want to show you my car. And, uh, some other great moments. None of the customers react Except after that one guy. Yeah. After Neil takes Wingro's <laughs> head and slams it against counter four times. They're all dressed up in suits. Was there ever There's a time a in LA where robbery. that would have been normal behavior? Because now no. at like a small plates shared shared plates restaurant, I just can't imagine somebody getting their head slammed into a table at all time and just being like. <laughs> well, you asked me five years ago what my move would have been if I was at the next table. Yeah. Watching this. Oh, what would have been? I think I'd just do this. Just go on my phone. 
I, I don't want to make yeah. eye contact. Can I see with, the Titans money line? Yeah, I don't want to make <laughs> eye contact with one human being. De Niro's great in that scene. Yeah. It's really just vintage. Just he has a purpose. He just kind of owns it. You really feel like he's going to kill Wayne Grow and then have taken him outside, leading to a nitpick that we'll on just do now. Hand, How does Wayne Grow escape? I yeah. can't believe they fucked that like, up. Like, because he's standing over him with a gun to his yeah, head. Yeah, come on. And then he come on, Neil. somehow rolls 50 yards away. Neil McCauley, overrated? I Well, also, uh, I wanted to mention that on one hand, Neil McCauley kind of invents how most like agents dress, where it's like the open shirt, open white shirt with the gray blazer yeah, or whatever. True, but that blazer is eleven sizes too big for him. I guess he's holding like an Uzi underneath of it at all times. So I, but I think that was the look. I think that was a mid nineties. I have some pictures that I wish I didn't have from <laughs> weddings and engagement parties back then. And it's just like big. Jackets. It looks like you've got like two kids stacked yeah. on top of each other. Everyone <laughs> makes fun of the NBA draft people yeah. back then, but we it's, all did trust it. me, we were all wearing like the heavy David Byrne jackets. Next one. I love this already, but since I've gotten to know you well, I feel like this is kind of our scene. Edie and Neil meeting for the first time. <laughs> what are you reading? A book about metals. What kind of work do you do? Stress fractures and titanium. What kind of work you do? Lady, why are you so interested in what I read or what I do? I've seen it in the store from time to time. What store? Missy and Ingalls, I went there. If you don't want to talk to me, it's okay. Sorry I bothered you. She apologizes. Yes. There's the seat in between them. He feels bad. Yeah. Then he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Takes the next seat. Because you work at the bookstore where somehow, like. How's he going to even yeah, remember right. that? Starts hitting on her. And within two minutes, they're back at his place. Yeah, talking like, about the algae run. Fiji. How yeah. lonely are you? Yeah. I know it's pre-internet, maybe pre-Tinder. There's, you know, you work in a library, but this is the best offer you had. You're hot. It is a good LA scene because she talks about how she's been there for a year and she doesn't really like it, but she's got to be there for her work. Good point. And she probably just doesn't know that many people. Good point. She's playing the whole, you know, young, attractive female the, in LA. What is that diner? Because that place closed, right? The place yeah, I that, think that one closed. Okay. Um, I don't know why Edie doesn't have a boyfriend. I don't know why Edie had to settle for Neil the Metal Psycho, but I will say this. I've watched De Niro a lot over the years. I think this might be the best chemistry he's had with an actress. Hmm. He's what's, not what's, somebody that... Went not, to, not him and Kathy Moriarty in Raging Bull? I was going to say, like, him and Juliet Lewis weirdly had chemistry in Cape Fear, and it was fucking weird. But uh, but if you go through his movie... <laughs> but if you go through, uh, like, Meryl Streep, mm -hmm. they put them together in a rom-com, and it was just fucking weird. They was, like, watching two people just play chess and go and checkmating each other every time and right. not being able to reach them. He's not somebody that you want clicking with an actress sure. for whatever reason. Sure. Even in The Irishman, his last movie, it's not like significant others are great. Casino, Sharon Stone... Goodfellas, he's asexual. He's never he the woman ever. Girlfriend. Is yeah. he a wife in Goodfellas? No. Yeah, you I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. So this is Godfather too. I guess he gets along with Mama Corleone. A little bit. Yeah. She's just she gives cooking him a dinner, he, though. It's she, a, she give, he gives her the pear. True. Yeah. He's not like clicking on yeah, screen. Yeah. And this is like. It's not banter. I feel like him and Edie, they, you know, it's, there's something Why there. you're asking me about what I read and what I do. <laughs> so it's good. A classic rom-com right there. And Edie's like. It's like she did something wrong and you've established. That's why I love that character because it's actually believable. She just has no self-esteem and this guy immediately is on her. One of my uh, favorite things about that uh, meet cute between Neil and Edie, underrated, is when uh, 
he asks her like where she's from and she breaks down her entire family tree and how they immigrated to Appalachia. Right, right. And she's like, what about you? And he's like, I'm from the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Scotch-Irish what came over and yeah. immigrated to Appalachia. And he's she's and she's like waiting for his like American story. And he's like, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from the Bay Area. <laughs> I have no furniture. Yeah. And I'm reading a book about metals. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to marry me? Do you want to go to New Zealand with me? <laughs> Do you want to go to New Zealand? As far away as we can get from America, it'll yeah. be fine. Next scene, uh, Neil's gang debating the heist. Our problem is take the bank or split right now. Do not go home. Do not pack. Nothing. 30 seconds flat from now, we are gone on our separate ways. That's it. Chris. The bank is worth the risk. I need it, brother. We should stay and take it down. That's where I come out. Now we could put a whole bunch of other scenes in there. Like we could have, we could John Voight going to see Noonan or Neil going to see Tom Noonan and yeah, all that stuff. Kelso, but yeah. I'm just going, I'm playing the hits. Neil's gang, whether they should do it or not, Kilmer gets off. The bank is worth the risk. Yeah. And actually, the greatest Kilmer line of all time. The, the two sides of this scene are imperfect. It's, you know what they're looking at? LAPD. Well, that's, that's coming up after yeah. this. That's before this or after this? No, this is before okay. that because I have that one too. We have uh, Sizemore, which you pointed out in the last pod, just going for it with De Niro. Unbelievable. This is this is like Reggie Miller against Michael Jordan in the 98 playoffs being like, I know this is absurd, <laughs> but I think I'm as good as this guy. And he just heat checks him yeah. <laughs> and does the, Michael, what do you think? And he does the look away. He blinks a hundred times. And, and then, then he just it, gets it real. He gets the engine going. He's just like, <laughs> well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. <laughs> and, De, and De Niro's like, yeah. and then it cuts to uh, like Treo or Kilmer, and they're like, oh yeah, like what you did. Yeah, there. yeah sure. I love that whole thing. Um, it does raise the question though: Neil's supposed to be this smart criminal who knows the heat's around the corner all the time. He they know there's knows a, the heat's around the corner. Yeah, they, there's so much heat on those guys. Maybe so they think that maybe wait a little he's while. Like, where do you think all this? He, he's saying it rhetorically. He's he's accusing it Wayne Grove of doing that, right? He's like Wayne Go Grove dimed us out right? or Van Zant. They okay. don't know. They know it's somebody. And then the the follow up to that is Pacino realizing that the guys have flipped the table on yeah. him. They, they, LAPD. You know what they're looking at? What? Us. The LAPD. The police department. You just got me. Police department. <laughs> we just got made. You guys are good. <laughs> the next one is the okay, fan- motherfuckers. <laughs> okay, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, the next one is the diner scene. So then, if you spot me coming around that corner, you're just gonna walk out on this woman, not say goodbye. That's the discipline. That's pretty vacant, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. It's that or we both better go do something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. I don't much want to either. Neither do I. I would say one of the most famous scenes in the 90s. Yeah, I would think it's probably one of the most famous scenes in the last like 40 years in movie theater, in movies. I described it once as 
of finals where if LeBron and Kobe had ever played in the finals and there's that moment in the fourth quarter where all of a sudden they're just guarding, guarding each, each other, other and it's yeah. just fucking on and the fans are like, holy shit. And the announcer's going, ooh, they're guarding Except each other. Except what if ESPN decided to not do any master shots and only do like Right, do side yeah. shots. Well, that was another, I forgot to mention this when we're doing the top of the arcs of this movie or the uh, the different check marks. Mm-hmm. There's this whole check mark where everybody has square TVs, but this is filmed super duper widescreen. Mm-hmm. And when you see this scene, in the square, it was just only one guy at all times, which led to this 10-year internet legend that they weren't in the scene together right. and that they filmed the shot separately. And then as soon as we had the widescreen, it was like, oh, yeah, you can yeah. see them both times. So that turned out to be bullshit. Um, some classic moments in here. First of all, some stuff uh, I found out in research. Take 11. Really? They never rehearsed it as requested right. by De Niro. Right. He said he thought it would be better if they just didn't know. My life's a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because the real father's this large type asshole. What is a large type asshole? He does the whole thing. I spent all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. And then Neil listens so it goes. Guy told me one time, don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around a corner. Now, if you're around me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a, a marriage? And he does the heat around the yeah. corner thing. It's like they're just immediately in it. They're yeah. having like a, a fucking podcast together. <laughs> you know, a guy told me one time, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, and then their Posterman was on once and he told me. <laughs> and in eight minutes, they click. And Pacino does the whole, you know, we're sitting here, you and I. Like a couple of regular fellas do what I got to do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I got to put you away, I won't like it. But I tell you, it's between you and some poor bastard whose life's going to, you're going to turn into a widow. Brother. (laughs) Brother. (laughs) You are going down. Now, at this point, he's definitely murdered three poor armored armored Uh car guys. They're pretty convinced that this happened. They only didn't arrest them at the precious metals depository because they wanted to get them in the act of actually stealing Right, they wanted more stuff. breaking and entering. So he does this whole speech. Also, I don't don't know why he likes De Niro so much. Vincent must commandeer a Los Angeles Police Department helicopter and backup to pull Neil over to be like, I'm having coffee. I'm not sure what form you submit for that. We're like, hey, I need the chopper. Why? I'm going to take this guy to coffee. Yeah. And I gotta talk hu- about- Got to hunt down Macaulay. Talk about our dreams. <laughs> he's also going to catch him on the 10. Yeah. So he's got to go like 130 miles I don't think that's a problem for Vincent. So they set it up and then De Niro does the classic. This is one of my favorite De Niro performances ever, this scene where he does. He listens to it. It registers. And he kind of looks away. And then he goes, there's a flip side to that coin. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in and I got to put you down? Because no matter what, you will not get my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate, not for a second. Like it's it's like a he's like a murder suspect conferring yes. with his lawyer about what the, the next thing, but it, yeah. he, it's just all in his head. And he does that. We've been face to face, yeah, but I will has not hesitate not for a second. And then Pacino says, "So if you spot me coming around that corner, you're just gonna walk out on this woman, not say goodbye." 
And Daniel's like, that's the discipline. Yeah. Which is his only bad acting moment. But they, so they set the whole movie up and they somehow weirdly it's like each vacant. other. Who, who wins the scene 25 years later? I asked you 20 year mark. Who wins it now? I think Pacino, but I know that you're going to say De Niro. I know that you think it's like De Niro because he's keeping it more stoic and he's doing a lot more listening. But I think that Pacino, and I, I want to know when you want to get to the, the revelation. I think it happened after we recorded our podcast. Do it now. The revelation that Pacino says that his character is on cocaine this entire movie. So in the early scripts, we found out that Vincent Hanna, Pacino's character, has a huge coke problem. Yes. And then Michael Mann decided to get rid of that because it was just yet but another But that Pacino is like, thing. I just want you guys, like he did like a thing with Christopher Nolan where it was like an interview with, I think, Mann and De Niro and, and Pacino, or maybe it was just the two actors. And he reveals that he thinks, like his motivation in this movie is his character is doing key bumps like the entire time, which certainly explains a lot of his behavior. Explains a lot. Yeah. But in this scene, I think he's doing, his eyes are always darting around. Like, Neil is pretty much looking at Vincent the entire time. Vincent's kind of cocked over. He's kind of leaning, but he's also, like, scanning the entire restaurant. He's kind of got a thing, but you can tell he's kind of got something else going on in his head while he's doing it. And it's just, like, an amazing performance when you watch it that way. It's one of the, my favorite eight moment, eight minutes in any movie. And I don't know who wins. I think it's a split decision. 115 to 114. Yeah. I think one judge had it one way, the other judge had it the other way. You might even have a draw with the third judge. It's that close. Next scene, the bank robbery shootout. We spent a lot of time on this in the last pod. Um, probably the goat bank shootout. Mm -hmm. I still feel it that way. It's 15 solid minutes. I mean, I, I would say in some ways, nobody's figured out how to do bank robberies since this movie. So, And it, there's a lot in the research. Like every, every good bank robbery I've seen in a movie since then is basically just heat. Feels like an homage. Yeah. In the research, it's pointed out that Michael Mann spent so much time on how these guys loaded the guns, shot the guns, how fast they were able to reload, mm -hmm. specifically Kilmer and De Niro, that military units study how they do heat to show them how to reload the gun and stuff like that. And Kilmer was like all proud of himself. Because it's funny, Sizemore's in the shootout, especially yeah. in the street, but they don't really show him. Michael Mann must, my theory is Michael Mann didn't probably like. Didn't like his running style? Didn't like how he's loading the gun. Yeah, it was Maybe kind of like, he like Williamson didn't like he, his gait. He, he, right, he was just, <laughs> I'm going to focus on these other two guys. But you can see, if you look closely, especially the widescreen, when Kilmer and De Niro are shooting, you can see Sizemore in the back. He's shooting too, but they never cut to him. Um, oh, another thing. Uh, rather than dubbing in the gunshots, Michael Mann had microphones carefully placed around the set so that the audio could be captured live. I would say like Which the, I guess nobody had ever done before. What are your other favorite, what are the bank, the classic bank movies since then? I, I would say Inside Man is the one that's like the least like heat that I love. You know what I mean? Like there's not like a huge physical confrontation in Inside Man other than the one that's imagined. Den of Thieves. Den of Thieves, obviously. We like some of the shootouts in that. That's Den of Thieves is a flat out heat yeah. ripoff. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's really come close to this though. And my only nitpick after watching this a million times, other than I love when the when the bank robber reassures the people as he has a mask on and a machine gun, we're not here for your money, it's the banks. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh thank you. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> I'm just gonna lie here in complete fear. I'm glad you're not here for my money. Can I just survive <laughs> 10 minutes? But uh Kilmer's walk takes too long. The editing they screw up, and I, I think that's a flaw in this movie. He goes from the entrance, he's got the bag, he's walking slowly, and in the time where he leaves the bank, he smiles at Sizemore, the whole thing, it's 
20 yards, yeah. 25 yards. And in that time, Pacino's able to pull in with the car, get out. They're able to go four blocks. I know. Coming down. It just, it never sits right. It always drives me nuts. It's also strange that like they wouldn't cause like a ripple effect of unrest that, that they would have picked up on before they got to the car or in the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if the cops are like encircling this block, I think Dennis Haysbert would have peeped that. You know, right. Yeah. Next one. Um, I guess we go... I mean, I'm just playing the OGs. The next one is Neil killing Wayne Grow and walking away from Eddie. Mm-hmm. Where you have a tough one for Eddie, tough breakup. Yeah. Yeah. But she said she, she was going her, to New Zealand. Do you think she gave her notice at the bookstore? Gave her notice. Told her told her friends and family, I'm going to New Zealand. She's packed. <laughs> I'm immigrating to New Zealand. So we started out Scotch-Irish, then went to Appalachia, and now I'm going to New Zealand. Right. <laughs> Uh, that didn't happen. Nope. Stuck in the car. Yes. I don't know if she has the keys. I don't know if she gets arrested for aiding and abetting a felon. <laughs> Her boyfriend's sprinting toward airplanes with a cop chasing him. Tough breakup. Yeah. Did you hear the little bit about, like, they almost weren't able to shoot at LAX because of a threat from the Unabomber? No. Yeah. Like, a th- there was That's a, a Unabomber threat, threat at LAX, and they almost weren't able to shoot there. If you're leaving with somebody that you now know is some sort of criminal and he mm-hmm. says I just have to make one more stop yeah and you pull up outside this hotel and 20 minutes passes the fire alarm grows off a SWAT team shows up just slide slide into the driver's seat just take off I'm probably out of there maybe just get an Uber yeah. I think I'm good <laughs> yeah I think at that point I'm like ah New Zealand I'll go there next it's year it's also like the guys knew each other for like two weeks we talked about this on the last pod. Are we sure Pacino could catch De Niro in a sprint? <laughs> Not on cocaine? Cocaine and probably two packs a day. That gets into a little bit of like Villanova Georgetown action where it's like, we like he's got like five good minutes in him. <laughs> De Niro's like a vegan, yeah. vegan, uh, whatever. Uh, any other uh, rewatchable scenes? Yeah, a couple. Um, I wanted to talk a lot about um, Vincent versus Albert. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, I'd be really interested in maybe scouting out Albert's place as uh, some new ringer offices because you can't beat the combination salt mine, pit bull training hut, shantytown hot car lot. Yeah, where was that? I don't I don't know. But Albert's drinking Negro Modelo at like nine in the morning. <laughs> and I just always loved, where's your empathy? It's a substance abuse problem. Right, right. <laughs> and that's, of course, the scene where um, Pacino is clearly so off menu that the camera and the editing can't keep up with his improving because when he's doing, by the time I get to Phoenix, he'll be rising. Right. He'll probably, they're cutting back and forth and you can see that the, the sound is happening from a different take yeah. because Pacino's mouth isn't moving over the shoulder. So it's just like Pacino is so on one that they only were able to get like one take of his genius. If Al Pacino gave an interview and said, the only time I've ever done a, a cocaine before a scene was, was that, one time in Heat. Yeah. We would be like, oh, it was the Albert yeah, it was scene. That, it was the Albert scene. Yeah. He's ad was Give me all you got! <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, this is later in the movie, the Wayne Grove Van Zant Benny meeting when, when Henry Rollins brings Wayne Grove by. Yeah, that's a weird one. Okay, the reason why is I love that Van Zant's been living in his office and they like definitely dress his office with like sheets on the couch like he's been living in there. But Wayne Grove's move is a, I got some moves I could make here. Probably be a big help to you. I want Gar Foreman to say that when people call the bulls. <laughs> like about Laurie marketing or whatever. Yeah, I got some moves here I could make. Probably be a big help to you. Or the Minnesota GM. Yeah. Got a guy by the name Andrew Wiggins. You might I be got interested some moves in. Moves here. 
I love um, Vincent going to BJ's on Alvarado at 2 a.m. You love that one. Uh, they're playing House of Pain. Yeah. The scene when they're sitting with Tone Loke uh, is obvious that the music is being put dubbed in after the fact and that everybody is dancing to silence. Yeah. Because their dialogue is like basically whispered. And then everybody is just kind of like moving in the background. So that I love that. And I love um, the whole like, so you know a guy, an ex-con, who says he's not up to nothing. What do you want, a junior G-man badge? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I also love the cruise at the refinery scrap where we talked about that. Um, most rewatchable scene, is it? Is it possibly Jeremy Piven as Dr. Bob? That's pretty good. Give me your shirt. My daughter gave me this shirt for Father's Day. <laughs> the most rewatchable scene is the diner scene. Yeah. The second most rewatchable scene is the bank shootout. Yes. But I'll accept all other nominations yes. as well. I love this movie. I have a new category just for you. What completely over-the-top Al Pacino moment aged the best? Here are your nominees. Okay. Pacino goes to see Albert. Give me all you got! Vincent. Give me all you got! Vincent. Give me all you got! The one we did at the very top, I got three bodies on a sidewalk of Venice Boulevard. I got three dead bodies on a sidewalk off Venice Boulevard, Justine. I'm sorry if the goddamn chicken got overcooked. I'm sorry if the goddamn chicken. He looks at the chicken. He looks at the chicken. Does the he need a second to understand that it's chicken? He couldn't remember. It's Am I holding a pork chop? Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about this one yet. Because she's got a great ass. <laughs> and you got your head all the way up it. Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. The, the underrated part is that the next line is, when I think about a woman's ass, something just comes out of me. Right. So in the director's commentary, Michael Mann said, Al Pacino ad-libbed this whole thing. Uh -huh. And Hank Azaria, Hank Azaria looks exasperated and shocked because he doesn't know what the fuck is he's going like, on. Jesus Christ. He's yeah. like, he's like, I think he actually says that. He's like, is this guy going to shoot me? Uh, you can get her walking your doggy. <laughs> you know what they're looking at? Us. The LAPD police department. Ha! Ha ha! Okay, motherfucker! Okay, motherfuckers! <laughs> I had coffee with Macaulay half an hour ago! And then I'm angry. I'm very angry, Ralph. You do not get to watch my fucking television set. Or then, uh, what do we got? What do we got? Bon voyage, motherfucker. You were good. <laughs> Your favorite over-the-top Pacino she's moment 25 years ass. later. She's great ass? Yeah. All right. What's age the best other than what we just said? Forget the money. What am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone because there's a dead man on the other and line. And he's calling from the back of a restaurant. It's the best threat ever on a phone yes. in the history of cinema. Yes. And the, the way Van Sant tries to be like, oh, hey, I was uh, I haven't heard from anybody yet. I was hoping to hear from you. Yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> yeah. Did you get your money? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm talking to an empty telephone. That's an interesting, what do you think he, like, that's an interesting way to play that scene where he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to lie and pretend like it was, it was money. Yeah. Even I sent like a Everything bunch go of right with paper. paper. <laughs> yeah. Good, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, he says it and Van Zandt's just holding the phone and just kind of has that look like, <laughs> just completely <laughs> terrified. Uh, another what's aged the best. We talked about, well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. That's how I live my life as yeah. well. The action is the juice. Ashley Judd, Val Kilmer saying about her, for me, man, the sun rises and sets with her, man. 
It's great. I want somebody to say about that about me. I say that about that. you. Haysbert quitting the diner <laughs> and then beating the shit out of his underrated girl, his that boss guy. Yeah. Tracking crooks with that electronic surveillance. We mentioned that uh, the whole life philosophy of don't get attached to anything. You're not willing to walk out like in 30 that. seconds. And then Moby at the end. The music in general. Elliot Goldenthal's God scorer. moving yeah. over the face of the waters. Yeah. yeah. So you got that. Anything else for what stage is the best? Vincent Hanna's jewelry. Mm. I want to be a guy who wears gold chains and bracelets again. Like why? Do, we don't do that enough. I had another. It's a borderline which is the best. Michael Mann, who is clearly an alien. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's somebody you're like, hey, Michael, want to come over and watch the Chiefs game with me? Yeah. <laughs> He would come over to watch like the 72 Chiefs because he was thinking about making like a Lamar Hunt movie. Right. So his, in Michael Mann's world, when people get together, it's people at a large dinner table with their spouses and everybody's laughing and it's not awkward at all. Or it's like a huge party and everybody's dancing. And it's just like he has, he glorifies what the barbecue and baseball and ball games thing. Uh, what stage the best for you? Oh, also, uh, can we say that um, Trejo wearing a zip-up hoodie with no t-shirt underneath when he calls from the pavement? <laughs> Trejo <laughs> just in general. Can I just start doing that in the summer? Like, I just walk yeah. into the office and I'm wearing a zip-up that goes up to here and then the rest is just, it's just do, open chest. Do it right now. Chested. Okay. I think for me, what stage the best is the action is the juice. Yeah. I love that more and more. Ever since you pointed out how Sizemore just fucking goes for it, it fucking kills me and every time. And man lets it roll. Oh, it's He's great. just like, you've got 40 seconds of footage here. I also, I would just say like in, in all seriousness, the, this version of LA, the locations, the way LA looks, like all the like the, the fucking Wayne Grow coming out of the bathroom at the restaurant in the first scene, you know, to come meet, uh, to come meet Michael. It's just like these little spots that you see if you're driving around Los Angeles and you're just like, God, who would ever think to put a movie next to the taco stand next to the car wash on Pico? And it's like Michael Mann did. Well, we should have had that in what stage the best LA. Yeah. And the fact that when we saw this movie, we lived on the East coast and this was in LA. We only knew LA from movies and movies like swingers and this movie and whatever else they're in the player. And yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's what Hollywood Hills must be like. Beverly Hills, 90210. Oh, Beverly Hills is right next to the ocean. Right. Like we're just, that's how we're absorbing LA. And then when you move here, this movie just takes a whole other life. And you think every time I've ever been out in like sixth and flower, yeah, you have like a business meeting or, or, you know, you're a just lunch looking or for guys day. in open shirts. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Holy shit. Imagine, shirt imagine a massive bank shootout right now. Yeah. That'd be fucked up. They built, uh, on gun ranges, they built like a mock version of Fifth Street to shoot, mm. to just like shoot the guns and train for that scene. What's age the worst? Neil's apartment. Can't get a couch. I know. I know. Did they have, did they have what, a crate and barrel back then? They just uh, gone and ordered something? Well, you, I don't think you had like the ease of use. Like, is this like, it's not, it's, it's not like he would be getting Ikea furniture. Get a futon. Yeah. There's a big futon era in the mid-90s. Jump around. I, I wish there they was a better hip-hop better scene. Song. It's one of the worst moments in the movie. Is what would you have gone for? 95? I think I probably... at that point, you have, you have the New York scene, Atlanta starting to take off. And it's LA, so you probably have like more like Death Row stuff. Right. You know, so maybe some Tupac or something. Like even... Y- yeah, you could have done Tupac's live because Tupac's still alive at that point. In 95, yeah, right? Could have done my favorite, Picture Me Rolling. Um, payphones. Payphones, age of the worst. Payphones are an integral character in this movie, ironically. Jeremy Piven's hair, tough. <laughs> Rough times. <laughs> Rough times. Didn't have the entourage <laughs> toupee yet. What a drive-by on Piven. That's uh, a tough one. Tough times. Uh, Pacino beating up Henry Rollins. 
it's it's not Henry Rollins. And you have a whole thing yeah. about the, the incredible stuntman who's seven times bigger than Pacino, but just in general, and the Pacino concept. Pacino just put fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin's him. <laughs> what do you have Pacino against Henry Rollins in Coats real life? late 50s Pacino comes in and just like <laughs> leg drops this guy. What is he, like a, a plus 2,500 underdog against Henry Rollins? The guy who's saying liar? And you know that that's probably bothered Henry Rollins for 25 oh, yeah. years. Like, He's like, I got to kick that guy's ass. He's a fucking A. <laughs> The very beginning, the first time we see Pacino, he's making out. And I'd like to induct Al Pacino in the, when I see you making out in a movie or TV show, it's just fucking gross. Yeah. Don't kiss anybody or anything, please. I just picture like- So you haven't watched Sea of Love recently? Oh, that's another one. You just picture these actors with him and his, he's just, he's like an ashtray. He's like the alien. He's like yeah. licking their face and they're just like, oh my God, this is the worst moment of my life. Vincent's relationship and- his lady's remarkably uh, sophisticated way of describing it. I love that. So, also, the fact that Justine is like constantly self-medicating. I know, but it, is it a little over the top when? Well, they are. They are like literally cutting to the chase. They're like, "Here's how I hold on to all the pain and trauma and angst to give me my edge." And she's like, "I need you to be present." <laughs> it's like. I told you when we hooked up, baby, you were going to have to share me with all the bad people and all the other people on this it. planet. I told you when we hooked up, baby, <laughs> you were going to have to share me. <laughs> and then she says, you've got to be present like a normal guy some of the time. That's sharing. This is not sharing. This is leftovers. I think my wife said this to me like two weeks ago. So actually, that was pretty realistic. <laughs> um, but then later, she really dials it up. Just If somebody just said this to you and ad-libbed the following paragraph, you would think this you're one of the great orators of our time. Sure. You should run you're for like Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. This is just, she rattles this off. You don't live with me. You live among the remains of dead people. You sift through the detritus. You read the terrain. You search for signs of passing for the scent of your prey. And then you hunt them down. That's the only thing you're committed to. The rest is the mess you leave as you pass through. For somebody to just rattle that off, put them, give them an HBO show. Yeah. They should be on 1130 on Friday nights <laughs> talking about Trump. And then she has your favorite line. I may be stoned on grass and Prozac, but yeah, you've been walking through our life dead. And now I have to demean myself with Ralph just to get closer with you. I think that Justine should have gotten the, the picture, even though she obviously has a very good sense of who Vincent is. The fact that Vincent never takes his television off the dinner table and he's just got like this shitty TV box like on the dinner table and right. she's like I worked for on dinner four hours ago and he's like I gotta turn on Sports Center and watch Olbermann and Patrick right right <laughs> what happened in that Warriors game alright next category what do we say age the worst jump around I would say yeah let's around. say jump around new category just for you best overly aggressive facial hair or hairstyle in this movie here are your nominees I'll let you pick John Voight's everything every single thing John Voight's doing Haysbert's Fu Manchu, Pacino's kind of blow dry look. Looks like he got it coiffed. Cut, yeah. De Niro's Van Dyke, I think it's called. Uh-huh. Similar to what I have now. I shaved, I shaved, shaved in like honor De Niro, of just in honor of him. And then uh, Van Kil- Va- Val Kilmer's uh, bad guy hair. It's This is really the only air. Mid 90s is the only time you could have that look and say Val, Val Kilmer's a bad guy. Now, I think. 25 years later, he's covered in tattoos. Yeah. He looks more like Chirito does now. Yeah. Most guys look like Chirito, I think. What's your favorite out of all those? John Voight's everything? I'm going to go, yeah, because I was going to say that John Voight's uh, makeup artist gets Dion Waiters. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you, if you had to pick one, John Voight's everything 
or Tom Noonan's wheel inexplicably in a wheelchair. I like the wheelchair. I'm gonna go with the wheelchair. The wheelchair is a never bold move. Upon. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like that dude's in a wheelchair, but it's like, well, Tom Noonan can walk. Why'd they pick a wheelchair? <laughs> also, like, do, like once they get all the information they need from Kelso, why don't they just say like, thanks, we're just not gonna pay you. Like, right, what are right. you gonna do? Like, come after us? <laughs> he lost his ability to walk after he invented the internet. It took so much out of him. <laughs> Casting what ifs. We didn't do casting what ifs last time. Some great ones. In the 1980s, this blew my mind. Didn't know this. Michael Mann shopped the script to Walter Hill to direct. It probably would have been a a different movie, obviously. Hill turned it down. I will just tell you this. Walter. Late 80s, if the news had come out that Walter Hill and Michael Mann were collaborating on a bank heist movie, I would have had to have been carried out of my dorm room. Who do you think would have started the Walter Hill version? Like Nick Nolte and Don Johnson? Definitely Don Johnson's yeah. involved. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves, hmm. originally assigned to play Chris, Val Kilmer's character, lost the part when Val Kilmer was able to squeeze it into a schedule while making Batman Forever in 1995. No shit. I didn't Keanu know that. Keanu Reeves as, as Chris. I kind of like oh, it. Oh, I would totally go for that. It's a little different movie, Isn't but- Keanu Reeves the biggest movie star in the world at this time? When did Speed come out? Speed is out. Jesus. Jesus. Michael Madsen, originally uh, cast as Michael Chiretto, ultimately replaced for Tom Sizemore, parentheses, unknown reasons. Yeah. I I could take a couple guesses. (laughs) Don Johnson, briefly considered for the part of Michael. Also discussed as a possible backup for both De Niro and Pacino. I actually watched this after I read that and watched every Michael scene thinking, would this be better with Don Johnson? The Michael Chiretto scenes? The Tom Sizemore scenes. The answer is no. No. Yeah, I think it would have been distracting I think it to have though. Don Johnson in the movie. I think it could have worked. I think Don Johnson would have been better as Nate. Mm. William Peterson allegedly turned down the role of Michael. I don't know if I believe that. This one's a good Michael one. Michael Mann's really dealing out the Michael Chirito part as if it was like John Cazale and Godfather. Like, it's it's a good part, but it's like, no wonder these guys... Couldn't are find the right person. Ted Levine, a.k.a. Buffalo Bill. Yes. She big fat person. <laughs> Ted Levine originally offered the part of Wayne Grow. Probably didn't want to double down, right? Turned it down. Felt he was being typecast. Asked to play the guy that he played. I think uh, Ted Levine as Wayne Grow. I can't fathom it. It's it's like if the Celtics had won the Duncan Lottery. I don't. I, I can't, <laughs> can't wrap my head around it. It's too. It's too good. There's too much. If he's basically just Buffalo Bill as yeah. Wayne Grow, I don't know. I, I actually think I would like that movie I more. I had to get it on. I had to get it on, man. I had to. <laughs> you guys want some pie? <laughs> uh, John- I got some moves I can make here. <laughs> you don't know what paint is, Michael. John Voight initially turned down the part of Nate, told Michael Mann several actors could perform the part better. Mann said, I've always wanted to work with you. I want you for this role. Mm -hmm. And Voight said, okay. This is half-assed. This was on the internet. I don't know if it's true. Lee Gong was offered the role of Justine. She refused unless the script was translated into Mandarin. That seems pretty half-assed. Does he wind up working with her on Miami Vice? Yeah. Right. I I don't don't know how I feel about that. that. It seems fishy. How old would she be in 95? Young. Yeah. I think that one is is really half-assed. The last one, James Caan lamented to Michael Mann as they were doing their 1998 DVD commentary for Thief, that he didn't have a role in Heat. Oh my God. And dude. apparently it's great and if awkward. If he had played Nate. He should have played Nate, right? Yeah. Yeah. If So throw James Conn a bone. He carried Thief. What do you, if I could, if I give you 
James Caan as Nate and Keanu Reeves as Chris. Oh, man. Do you want that more than what you got? I got to say, I'd rather have Kilmer. I love Kilmer. Kilmer's I love Kilmer in this movie. I don't totally know what he's doing, which is what I like. He's playing I it. Could say, I could see Keanu being like, the sun rises and sets with her, bro. Like He's playing it like him and, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers did like Molly in some alley right before he started <laughs> filming his scenes or something. I don't know what's happening with him, but I love it. All right, next one. Uh, best That Guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. We did a Twitter poll today asking if we should change this to the Wayne Grow Award. And the people spoke and they said, keep it Joey Pants. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Wayne Grow is the ultimate That Guy because you have, there's a, this is a movie of Hall of Fame That Guys. Wes Studi, guy from Last of the Mohicans. Ted Levine, Buffalo Bill. Piven. Michael Tay Williamson, who uh, was Bubba Gump. Tom Noonan, guy from Manhunter. Brian Libby from Silent Rage and Shawshank. William Fickner. What else was he in? Oh, like Armageddon. All kinds of stuff. stuff. Armageddon. Yeah. Wayne Grow is Wayne Grow. If you I, see him in Kevin anything. Has Kevin done other stuff? He's done some other stuff. He kind of went to jail for a little while there. Oh. Yeah. He okay. spent some time in the in the, in, in the prison. And uh, <laughs> and the Wayne Grow thing, I think, helped him. Okay. He had some quotes about how the Wayne Grow thing bought him some juice in prison. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I had to get it on, man. My soulmate was looking at me. So I think Wayne Grow, I don't think anyone knows that's Kevin Gage. Well, if you, you saw if you walked in right now, you'd be like, Wayne Grow. I would assume Wayne Grow's gonna get Dion Waiters. Well, let's let's do it next. Do we get a double double Wayne Grow? Well, here? we can skip over Saul Rubinick. They knew <laughs> Linda Partridge just, overacting yeah, word because Pacino's yeah. basically retires it. Could we change it to the Vincent Hanna? Yeah, let's change old? it to Vincent Hanna. Let's do it. We'll do that as the uh so for the, give me all you got. Yeah, the Vincent Hanna. <laughs> Vincent give Hanna. me all you got. <laughs> All right, so we're changing that to the Vincent Hanna overacting word. Give me all you got. The only and other then nomination— Then you get to do Vincent Hanna for the next hundred movies that we do. Yeah, but I was only going to say that the the second place, the runner-up in, in the Vincent Hanna Award, Natalie Portman be like, Mom, my barrettes aren't in the couch! <laughs> yeah, she does dial it up. <laughs> that is true. Dan Waiters, your nominees, Wayne Grow, Haysbert's Diner Boss. <laughs> I knew that would kill what you. What a fucking scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He really, he's got three scenes, and they're all like, you're just like, oh, fucking punch that guy Pancho in the face. and Cisco called out sick. <laughs> Mop up the floor. Take the trash out. Take your break later. Tone Loke, John Voight, Tom Noonan. It's probably Wayne Grow. I think he's in few enough scenes that he's eligible, but I would really like to make the case for Haysbird's Diner think Judd, Is Judd on the outside looking in here? Maybe. It's about risk versus reward, baby. Right, right. She's she's in it too much. Yeah. Okay. She's, I think she's in it too much. All right. What do you think? Haysbert's Diner Boss or Wayne Grow? Should we give it to Haysbert's Diner Boss just to break it up? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Recasting couch. If you had to recast any part of this movie, what would you do? Guy put Gong Li in, in every every Gong, role. Gong Li is Justine. <laughs> So I have this one. I thought about it. And maybe just because we did an awesome podcast with Tarantino mm -hmm. and he raved about Lawrence Fishburne for 10 minutes and how he was the Brando of his generation, all this stuff. Maybe this part's too small for him. But Fishburne in the Michael T. Williamson role. He's oh, in I four would say, scenes. He gets to be in the I shootout. Could, I could see Fishburne as Neil. Oh. Because he has that. Oh, wow. So you're shooting higher for Fishburne. power. Yeah. I'd rather have De Niro. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand. I was just trying to get Fishburne in the movie. The other one I was thinking was Ed Norton as Van Zant, like a year before Primal Fear. 
early Ed Norton. You don't really know who he is yet, but he's got that look on his face. Ed Norton would be like, I got to rewrite the script though. (laughs) It's like, hey, instead of an empty telephone, I think that's confusing. Yeah. So I have the, any recasting for you or are you perfect movie? It's a perfect movie. And I think also the casting what ifs are actually like more tantalizing than anything I could imagine. I guess the question gets into what would we do if we were recasting it for a remake? We'll get there. Okay. Half fast internet research. Only a couple things. Uh, the cast spent time at Folsom Prison and with real life LA PD detectives. Man was really big on that. They went to all these different places, talked to a lot of people. Kevin Gage in prison for two years in 2003 universally addressed by fellow inmates and prison guards as, as Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow uh, based on a real Chicago criminal named Wayne Grow, according to Michael Mann, he ratted out some influential Chicago criminals, went missing. His body was found in northern Mexico where it had been nailed to the wall of a shed. Tough times for the real life Wayne Grow. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the cocaine. Kate Mantellini, the famous diner where they shot the diner scene, which when I moved to LA, I demanded to go to, and I probably... I went there enough times that I brought both of my kids went there and it was on Beverly on Wilshire. It's a great place. And it closed down in 2014. Is that um, the one that's still there and like you can use it for locations? I think, no, 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 that's not it. They, okay. they turned it into something else. Table 71 was where they filmed. Oh, but cool. I so bummed out they got rid of that. They I should thought, just keep shit like that around. Like, yeah. Like, we need another like nail salon. Like seriously. We, you know how billionaires buy, you know, like the Atlantic yeah. or something. They, they <laughs> LA billionaire out here and be like, hey, I'm saving Kate Mandolinas. I love that place. Hey, Lord David Powell Geffen. Jobs. Instead yeah. of buying the Atlantic, why don't you buy the diner for me? <laughs> David Geffen, what's he doing? Yeah. Um, in the director's commentary, Michael Mann said Neil's trademark gray suits were designed to help him blend into a crowd, not draw attention to himself. And his shirt collars were starched because that's how they do it in prison. Yeah. How many dead bodies? 35. 21. 52 F-bombs. Okay. A couple more half-assed internet research things. Ralph, played by Xander Berkeley, mm. played Wingro in L.A. Takedown. Oh, yeah, callback. Yeah, and uh, one night in 2015, Casey Holdall, who is a Portland Trailblazers sideline reporter, tweeted that BJ's on Alvarado does not exist. So I was just imagining him being out with like Al Farouk Aminu <laughs> and Mo Harkless like, looking That's for BJ's. He just tweeted it with like a no context. Jesus. Uh, Let's take a break. We're going to do Apex Mount in one second. Hey, with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. So Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, live life like nobody's watching. More importantly, live your life like nobody's watching. You know what I like to watch? Heat. That's why we've done two rewatchables podcasts about it. I like to watch the same movies over and over again. Do I care if my wife judges me because I'm watching the last 30 minutes of Shawshank yet again when I just saw it two weeks ago? No. I do what I want to do. You know what else I like to do? I buy popcorn or I make microwave popcorn and then I pour M&Ms in it. And then I throw them together. And I, I eat the popcorn and the M&M's. Probably not healthy. I don't care. It's what I like. Pepsi, that's what I like. Man, sometimes when we do Apex Mountain, there's only a couple. Maybe there's nobody. A lot of here. Michael Mann. I would go yes. Me too. Kate Manolini's yes. LA bank robbery movies? Yes. Not Al Pacino. Can't be. Over the top. Late so, prime Al Pacino. Set of a woman on? Yeah. I'm basically everything from Sea of Love on is this is Apex Mountain. 
Because some people would say son of a woman. I think he's better in heat and I think heat indoors. And I can't remember the last time I had a conversation about son of a woman. If somebody was like, hey, you know, do you got five minutes? I have some son of a woman thoughts. You'd be like, what? (laughs) So he goes son of a woman. Glengarry, I would put in there, 92. Glengarry, son of a woman, Carlitos. Heat, City Hall, Donnie Brasco, Devil's Advocate, Insider, Any Given Sunday. I feel like that's the brick right there. That's the one. So I would say the other nominee is Any Given Sunday, the speech is also iconic. (laughs) The inches are all around us. Another Apex Mountain. It's not Val Kilmer's Apex Mountain. I don't think. No, that would be probably probably Top Gun or... or, No, it'd be like early 90s. Willow? Batman? No, Tombstone. Tombstone? It's starting to get weird, Val Kilmer's Apex. Sure. Dr. Moreau time. It's Yeah, the wheels are starting to come off and it's fun and we don't know where it's going, but it all starts here as Chris... Whatever his name is. Amy Bretterman, absolutely Apex Mountain. I know she's judging she Amy. Had she had a made, show called Judging I Amy. I know. She made a million dollars, but she has NYPD Blue and then this back to back and is going to be one of the hot actresses, hot meaning hot, like career hot, yeah. for the next 10 years. It leads to Judging Amy. Judging Amy is the cherry in the hot fudge Sunday that's laid in 94 and 95. Okay. You know? So you think that by crossing over the Atlantic and settling in Appalachia, that's how she gets Judging Amy. Fair. All right, fine. I'm from the Bay. That's all right. I'm so we'll veto that one. <laughs> How about character actor John Voight? Because this is when the journey starts for him. Now he's in Ali. Yeah. I would, I, some people would say Varsity Blues, but this is when John Voight becomes a character. This actor. is definitely my favorite John Voight performance. Yeah. I'm of, going of yes that, for character actor John Voight. Tom Sizemore. I think Saving Private Ryan is probably, he. I think he has like a little bit more of a developed character in Saving Private Ryan. Okay. But... That's a pretty nice little mid-90s run for him here to be in Heat and Saving Private Ryan. Ashley Judd? I would say no. I think her, I think Double Jeopardy is her apex mountain. I stand by that movie. And also at some point, I'm going to text you that we have to rewatch Late career as like a University of Kentucky super fan has been pretty awesome too. It's pretty good. Yeah. Double Jeopardy was a great idea for a movie. <laughs> she is goes to jail for murdering her husband and can't get convicted of actually killing him. Great idea. <laughs> Last one, post-prime De Niro and Pacino. So we said Pacino, yes, for that. And post-prime De Niro? It's a tough one. He's a, he had some good ones there. So let's see what... He had some Cape Fear. He had some... Uh, so he has Casino. I, does, is Goodfellas still in his like wheelhouse prime? I would say it is. I'm going to say no because it's too confusing. Um, BJ's at Alvarado? I mean, non-existent, but it's, it's Apex Mountain since it doesn't exist. Jump around? No. Definitely not. No. Piven without hair. I would say it's either this or uh, when he plays the cashier in singles or PCU. What about asking a bunch of guys playing pickup basketball at night if they have any, nowhere they can get some bread? <laughs> that, hey, did we spend like pay. 25 minutes on yeah, that in the yeah. last podcast? Picking nets. I have a couple. That was one of them. Fel Kilmer getting out of the car, asking people if they know where they can get bread. And then the police somehow letting him go. This is... A huge stakeout waiting for Val Comer to show up. And she's at like, Ashley that's Judd's not house. him. How about just arrest him and see if it is him? Yeah. Just to, How about just, just to double check? Just bring him in. Put yeah. it, give, let's get a fingerprint. You were able to get a helicopter so that Vincent could have coffee with Neil. You can't bring this guy and put him in the backseat of a car for five minutes? It's not like he stole $20 from a diner. Yeah. There's dead bodies all over downtown <laughs> yes. LA. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to bring him in and play it safe. But He's they wearing Jeremy Piven's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's true. I think Fishburne brings him in. I think it was Michael uh-huh. T. Williamson's fault. 
Michael Mann's, we talk about this all the time in Michael Mann's movies. His refusal to just look at a map in LA and acknowledge that locations are far away from one another. This Michael Mann's version of LA is just- There's also never any traffic. No, no traffic. Venice is right next to downtown LA. Yeah. It's, a, it's just- When Pacino it's a and they come mess. up on the first robbery, the armored truck robbery, and he's like, this is a good location. Two freeways right here. I'm like, two freeways? They're just going to be sitting in fucking traffic. Yeah, what freeways? So, so they could just take 10 minutes to get on the freeway? <laughs> That was rough. Um, all these criminals go to the fancy dinner with their family almost immediately after pulling off this huge heist. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea for them all to be seen together in public. Big dinner check. Um, also, isn't it just weird that Neil's alone? Like, yeah. couldn't Neil bring, like, his aunt? Or hooker? <laughs> <laughs> Neil's like... <laughs> A hostitute? Yeah. Neil's like, you leave in 30 seconds when you feel the heat around the corner. Uh, can I have the veal parmesan? <laughs> can, you, can you lightly cook the bread? So um, we covered why the hell did he do like Neil? Here's the, I mean, the other big nitpick for this is the team gets caught basically because Michael calls everyone slick. Mm-hmm. This is, this That's is the downfall is that part of a witness the in the beginning bank robbery hears Michael say, call somebody slick. Pacino's able to fact check this through Albert and Tone Loke's The weird thing character. is, in the beginning, it says a witness heard somebody call a guard slick. Pacino then is like, run slick as an alias, even though they're calling the security guard slick. So why would he think it's one of the guys in the crew is named slick? They run slick as an alias, gets the phone book, and then Tone Loke is like, Oh, yeah, there's only one person in L.A. who's ever used the word slick for another human being. slick. And then it's like, bam, we have all we these have guys it. under surveillance. Boom. It is the why. Say what, say what. <laughs> slick. <laughs> it's, why, it's the why did Kay Corleone yes. notice that the drapes were open of this movie? Yes. It's just too convenient. Any other picking nets? We covered no, all No, I have some uh, unanswerable questions okay. for not picking nets. Best quote other than quotes we haven't said already. <laughs> I am alone. I am not lonely. Yeah. What makes you lonely? I'm alone. I am not lonely. You? Great one. That'd be a good Twitter bio thing. <laughs> sure. Should I change my Twitter bio? Take, take I, the watch and rewatchable sound. Executive editor, <laughs> the rigor. I'm alone. I'm not lonely. I don't know lonely. if my wife would feel about that. <laughs> you prefer the normal routine. We fuck and you lose the power of speech. <laughs> Pretty insulting. Yeah. Tough one. Yes. That, that's definitely like a marriage counselor needs to be at least called at that point. De Niro saying... You see me doing thrill seeker liquor store hold ups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? <laughs> no, I do not. Uh, if it rains, you get wet. All I am is all I'm going after. Those are, those are just great quotes we haven't mentioned. I got, uh, you can get killed walking your doggy. <laughs> right, right. I like uh, when Voight is talking to De Niro in the car and he's like, he's a maniac. He was working narcotics before that and he's been in three marriages. What do you think that means? He like stand at home? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like one of those guys out prowling around all night, dedicated. Could it, now I'm saying I'm doing everybody's voice as McCullough, as, as, as I, Hannah. I fully support it. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Fuck yeah. I'd, I'm, I'm actually ready to say this. I have an announcement. Where's my camera? That one? I'll use that one. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm ready for Heat to be remade as a 10-episode streaming series for somebody. And I want Michael Mann to executive produce it. And I want new actors. And I think it's time. There you go. Who are you going to cast? I don't know. Come on. Who's Vincent and Neil? 
Just take a run at it. We stay. Do you want to stay in the age bracket? We got it, right? The for, like, late, late 40s, 40s mid to mid 50s age bracket. So we're looking at like Brad Pitt range. Yeah. Brad Pitt with his hair dyed black. Brad Pitt is Macaulay? Yeah. Brad Pitt would be Macaulay to me. First time he's made a TV show? Brad uh-huh. Pitt? Uh-huh. Is he too old? No, I don't think so. Not for Macaulay. And then who we go? Do we, do we... Why don't we just put Leo as Vincent? It's pretty good. I the, mean, who the, says the no, right? The reunion? Denzel as Neil? Too old? That's. I think he's a little too old. I think he's... I don't think he's moving... What's our worst case scenario? Will Smith as Neil? Or like they go too young and it's like it's like Timothy Chalamet and Ansel Elgort. Yeah, that Timothy Chalamet and Neil's. <laughs> we do support Wait him for there. 20 years. Yeah. I have to think about it. This would be a good thing. Well, when we I like that. I think that Ruffalo has some residual LA cop stuff that he, you know, he hasn't worked out from collateral. He's so good in collateral with the goatee and can the hair slick back. Can I give you this one? Uh-huh. Downey? So what about Ruffalo and Downey? I don't think Ruffalo's big enough. He's it's, the Hulk. He's it's like, got to be. What about Downey as Neil and Brad Pitt as uh Vincent? Do you think Downey hangs out with enough? Like- Brad Pitt doing the thing when, you know, when he's kind of like, I'm a little fucked up, Brad Pitt. <laughs> I've been a little beaten down by life yeah. or I might have something going on. watching episodes of Marin. The, the, guy, the guy from seven, 25 years older, yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. I'd probably watch that. Probably unanswerable questions. Is there a more evil act by a bad guy in a movie than when they grab the little kid as a human shield? No. I mean, yes, but not not in, in the context of this year immediately like Chirito's got to go. Sorry, it, Mrs. Chirito. It's funny. You're so into these guys escaping then we does it like, good move. And then it's like, oh God, that's a little kid. Dump the kid. What are you doing? Uh, did Tom Noonan invent the internet? Let's just talk about it. Um, we can't is, say he didn't. It's great that Neil, Neil is like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's the internet. And Neil's like, how did you get this? He's like, it's just out there. And Neil's like, I don't understand. And it's like, in three years, everybody's going to understand. But Neil's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Would it be that easy for a dude running with a gun at a hotel near LAX to then run to where the planes are taking off and landing? No, not, well, pre-9-11, easier. But yeah, I think it's still pretty challenging. I don't think if you're making this movie again in 2020 that they'd have to address that one. They would definitely have to address it. It would have to take place at like Union Station. They'd have to get me on trains. Did this film cause more bank robberies? So there's stuff on the internet about this. Since the movie went, was released in in, uh, winter 95, armored car robberies in South Africa, Colombia, Norway, Denmark, most famously 1997, North Hollywood. Huge shootout. The North Hollywood branch of Bank America was robbed. Um, they were confronted by the LAPD as they left the bank. One of the longest and bloodiest events of its type in American police history. Jesus. Both robbers killed 11 police officers, seven bystanders injured, and the movie Heat was blamed as one of the reasons it happened. Um, I have a probably unanswerable question for you that's very specific, I think, to your Dude, expertise. I have four more, so I'm glad you brought I'm glad you have one. Okay. Um, when Chris goes to Neil's house and he's sleeping on the floor— then they get him some coffee and they're talking about, you know, like, why would Charlene be upset at you? And he's like, not enough steaks in the fr- fridge or not enough steaks in the freezer. And he's talking about how the Super Bowl clear- cleaned him out. So the 95 Super Bowl is Chargers Niners. So we're in LA. Oh, so this is great. What's he 
Was he really think the Chargers are going to beat Steve Young that year? Like, so this puts a time frame on Heat, too, because yes, that's February. Yes. So you think he's, he saw Stan Humphreys in the AFC title game, and he's, he's like, like, man, Stan look, Humphreys. If you're telling me it's Junior Seau versus Steve Young, I'm taking the linebacker. Like, what was he thinking? How much money do you think he lost on the Chargers? Or maybe it was a spread thing. Maybe the, the 40, I, I don't know. Maybe he bet the the Chargers to cover. Or something. That was a dinner scene that that uh, maybe they cut. Or maybe that's at the diner before Wingro gets there. They're like, so what do you do for the Super Bowl? Well, I also like, like the idea. I love Natron like, Means. I think it's his time. <laughs> before, because like before, like there was obviously this ga- gambling explosion in popular culture. Yeah. The time when you would hear gambling advice is like on Saturday mornings or Friday nights on sports talk radio. And there would be a guy who would be like, I like the charges on the road, in the rain, right. at the Meadowlands, because Stan Humphreys is never lost right. when the wind blows west to east. Right. And it's like, I would love a scene of Chris Jarrell's driving around listening to gambling advice. Well, they also had the sports advisors back then, because yeah. it's my buddy Jeff and I, we used to watch them every weekend. Stu Finer <laughs> talking about, I have a miracle super bet for you. <laughs> the Chargers plus 14. And you know, Chris Jarrell is like, I guess I got to go rob some precious metals because I got wiped out by the fucking Chargers. What if Chris was like a big, maybe he's from San Diego. He's a big Air Coriel Chargers fan. Yeah. Well, he's got he's an Arizona like, driver's this. license. So I wonder if he's like more of a, of a, of a cards guy. Had they moved from St. Louis yet? Ninety five. Bet the maybe you bet the under. Yeah, because that game went way 49, over. Forty nine twenty eight. Yeah, it's like low scoring Chargers defense. <laughs> yeah, Seahawks really gonna be checkmating Steve Young. George Seifert just unleashed on him. Now, if he was really a gambling degenerate, he would have said, "I got cleaned out by the Super Bowl, and then I tried to win it back at the Pro Bowl." At March Madness, no yeah. Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is the <laughs> ultimate gambling. It's like you bet on the Pro Bowl. What a degenerate you are. Um, whatever happened to Chris was my most uh, my next unanswerable. Moves to Vegas. Starts starts his own sports book. I feel like he's dead within two years, right? He's killed by yeah. somebody he owes money to in Las yeah. Vegas. He definitely moves to Vegas, though. Right, because he's without Charlene. He's without Dominic, sweet Dominic. And he's kind of like unhinged. He probably goes to Vegas, gets in deep with some bookies, gets killed. That was my next one. Is Dominic, what's he, What's his life like? He's been in prison multiple Drucker times. lays out a pretty dark scenario for Dominic. Gladiator Academies, stealing cars, fucked for life, Chino. So... What if, what, how about this? What if he was the kid from the OC? Why can't Dominic be in the Netflix version? Well, we had that in our last pod. Did we? That Portman is now a detective chasing did Dominic. Did we talk about that? Yeah, we did. And Heat too. <laughs> Heat too is Portman and Dominic. I love it. And Ed, Neil and Edie's uh, son. Okay. That we don't know that. Edie was pregnant. We didn't realize. Right. That's why the, she's when living the back was in Appalachia. The corner, she, yeah, she yeah. wanted to drive away. This is my most unanswerable question and really why Neil's a hypocrite. Was Neil a hypocrite for going back for Chris during the bank shootout? I think Neil breaks his own rules all the time in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Even the, all even the hiring Haysbert is ridiculous. Right. Hey, there's this fry cook. Let's hire him. You know, you know there's no... You remember the drill? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah. Okay, great. Fuck Here's yeah. a gun. Don't you want to know why that guy's slinging eggs? Maybe right. like he's not like the, the top-notch getaway driver you need? He's a total hypocrite for going back to Chris. The ultimate example of the heat's around the corner. Yes. You can't have anyone in your life that you can't walk away from in 30 seconds unless it's your stone degenerate gambler friend. Right. Then you have to go back unless for him. Unless it's your buddy who thought Junior Seau is just too hard to pass up on. Yeah. Uh, what's heat two? We basically laid that yeah. out. Heat two is either you modernize it with new people. Um, get tech and get you the do digital, with an, the iPhones. You do it with an all black cast or 
Kelso started fight Facebook. <laughs> right. Or you do generational heat too, where you have Portman, Portman. Dominic, yeah. Neil and Neil, Edie's illegitimate son with Tr- Neil. Chirito's daughter. Chirito. Is he a daughter in this or just a son? I can't yeah, remember. Chirito. And then uh and then maybe the little girl that Chirito picks up gets revenge on anyone. All right, last question. Who won the movie? Pacino. This time around, wow. it's Pacino. When I, I watched I had this Michael movie, Mann, like, hands down. I'm just saying that I think that Pacino is the engine of this movie. Like, Pacino brings energy in every single scene. I think Pacino wins the movie for you. Yes. For all the things you love. Yes. He, yeah, I can see it. I'm going to say Michael Mann. Okay. Because uh, he pulled it off. He got these two awesome actors to basically do their thing along with all of these character actors. It's almost perfectly cast. It holds up beautifully. It creates the anti-hero template. It sets the wave for 25 years of just being ripped off. Yeah. And it's the best movie ever made, I think. I agree. Some people would say The Insider, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there are people who would make the argument for Manhunter, but I think that I think that he is his best movie. I think that Insider is like probably some critically acclaimed one. Chris Ryan, we did it. The see you reheat. 100 episodes. The reheat. We'll see you 200 episodes. I wonder what that pot will look like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks to Sonos. Upgrade your movie watching experience and enjoy brilliant sound your way with Sonos. Every Sonos speaker designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass. Then fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. What a way to hear the uh, shootout scene in Heat. Getting started is easy. Just plug in your speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming services or TV. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. And then with the new year officially here at Emerald Valley, new restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Like when I put popcorn and M&Ms together and think I'm a genius because I've merged two of my favorite things. I feel like I've invented this. I see other people do it. It's mine. Pepsi, that's what I like. We'll be back. uh, The next rewatchables we're doing, oh, it's a good one. Might be a current movie, relatively current. That's a hint. See you then.